The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about investing in tech stocks and the industry's future. My guest today is Barron's Associate Editor, Eric Savitz, who covers everything tech from his perch in Silicon Valley. Eric also hosts his own Barron's Live calls on the first and third Tuesdays of every month, speaking to leaders in the tech and investment world. So, Eric, I'm giving a plug to your calls. They are <laughs> worth, they're worth listening to. Well, thank you, Lauren, and it's good to be here. Appreciate but it. But I'm very glad to have you in the role of the guest. Glad to do it. So we've got a ton of stuff to talk about today, but I wanted to start with the big picture. It looked for a hot minute there like the NASDAQ, which is really a proxy for tech and growth stocks, was going to head toward correction territory. The index fell about a thousand points from mid-November through early December. Now investors have had a change of heart and they seem to like tech stocks again. What's behind this volatility and where do you think things go from here? Sure. Well, I think there's a few elements to what's unfolded in the last few months. Um, one, one thing that has happened is uh, you saw a spike in uh, interest rates. The tech investors, uh, somewhat surprisingly, pay a lot of attention to 10-year treasury rates. When rates rise, uh, the, the math is that high growth stocks, uh, high multiple growth stocks uh, tend to uh, decline. Uh, in a sense, it, it makes the, the future value of their growth lower. And so you, you see very high uh, multiple stocks tend to do badly in that kind of environment. And it happens that uh, one category of stocks that fits that description uh, are uh, the, the cloud software companies, uh, companies like Snowflake and, uh, uh, and, and Salesforce and others that um, tend to have very high growth rates. They tend to trade at very high multiples. And when you get, uh, uh, which leaves them vulnerable uh, to all sorts of things. Now, the high rates were one problem. And then there was a secondary problem, which is um, we've just gone through a period of, uh, of earnings reports from a lot of these cloud companies. And for, for various reasons, a lot of them have um, off-cycle earnings, uh, meaning they have year-ends in January rather than in December. So like they, retailers. Yes. So they report earnings for the October quarter rather than the September quarter. And we just saw a whole bunch of them. Um, and one thing that happened is that uh, there was some concern in particular about the growth rate uh, implied by some of the data provided by Salesforce.com. Um, and I think that the street took away from that a little bit of concern about growth, about the growth rates they were assuming for many of these stocks. And it really knocked the wind out of them. And we've had a couple of other uh, data points that have some of the same flavor to them. One that's particularly noteworthy is a company called DocuSign, which many people will be familiar with. They do electronic signatures and other uh, digital document uh, processing 
software. And uh, DocuSign saw a real uh, surge in demand during the pandemic um, as you had fewer people going to the office. Um, it made a lot more sense to try and do digital uh, business processes rather than uh, trying to actually sign things and fax them and do things the old-fashioned paper-based way. Now, I will note that Dan Springer, who's the CEO of DocuSign, has been saying for some quarters now that this extra boost from the pandemic was not going to last forever, but it still continued to produce you know, better than expected growth for like six quarters in a row. And then lo and behold, they provided data for the October quarter that particularly on the billings uh, line uh, was disappointing to the street. They missed their own guidance um, and things slowed down. Uh, their growth slowed down. Um, and these stocks, um, uh, when, when, you, when they disappoint, uh, the investor reaction can be vicious. And in DocuSign's case, the stock fell 42% in one day. Um, and that kind of thing shakes up the market. Now, I, I will note, by the way, that there have been a few other examples of I very- I have to ask, Eric, is it a bargain now? Well, that's a good question. And in fact, uh, Dan Springer, the CEO this week, um, was in the open market uh, buying stock on Monday. And uh, when he did his uh, filing to disclose that on Tuesday, the stock rebounded 10%. So, I mean- Fascinating I think story. Is the stock is certainly a lot cheaper than it was before, but it still trades, it trades at a pretty high multiple. So you want to be careful. Now, I will note, by the way, that we've had a couple of other examples of like pandemic era darlings uh, uh, blow up. Uh, Zoom has been blowing up gradually for months now, uh, has lost more than half of its uh, uh, value. And uh, and for a fairly obvious reason, you know, Zoom at one point was producing growth at uh, during the pandemic, uh, like three straight quarters of more than 350% revenue growth. Now, I think it is safe to say that no company can sustain 350% that is, that is revenue growth. Even, even though, Eric, I have three Zoom meetings this afternoon. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I do a lot of Zoom meetings too, but the, uh, as, as do I'm sure many of our listeners, but, uh, but, but nobody grows like that forever. And in fact, what's happened is their growth rate has, uh, has, has uh, come down considerably. And and now the street is sort of debating, well, how much lower, how low does it go? Uh, they're also seeing new competition and that stock is blown up. And then of course there's Peloton, which has also gone through um, a mammoth correction period. And uh, for one thing, uh, some people are now going back to the gym and uh, may, not, uh, may not feel the need to exercise on a Peloton. So there's a whole bunch of things that are contributing to this concern, particularly about very high growth rate um, tech stocks. Now, I, I, I do think that there's some offsets here, right? So for one thing, uh, we're, we're actually seeing very robust demand uh, from uh, in, in terms of enterprise technology spending. Um, there, there is a, particularly ironically uh, around the cloud. So like if you look at the last set of earnings announcements from uh, Amazon and Microsoft and uh, and Alphabet, I was going to say uh, Google, but of course it's Alphabet is the parent. Um, they had really good growth in their uh, in their cloud uh, their their cloud businesses, and I don't think we're anywhere close to the end of that process. So so there's still a lot of spending uh, going on there. And then uh, meanwhile, you know, there's some other cross currents as we head into the uh, holiday uh, season. Uh, or we guess we're kind of in the, holiday. in the holiday season. We're in the holiday season. Um, 
around uh, uh, the, the pricing is actually pretty strong in part because we're seeing, seeing well, shortages of everything. Yep, there are shortages of everything. Um, so far, the numbers look pretty solid in terms of demand. Adobe, which tracks this stuff, um, says that uh, November online sales, at least, were up 13% year over year, which is pretty good growth um, off of what was a, a COVID-inflated uh, number in 2020. So um, lots of cross currents. I mean, I think in general, the outlook is pretty good. Oh, I will say one other thing, by the way, which is there's also the wild card of, um, particularly for the um, very large uh, tech companies for the mega caps, uh, particularly the social network, uh, the internet uh, businesses around the future regulation of these companies. Um, you know, just yesterday there was a hearing involving Instagram. Uh, that is causing uh, some, some uh, distortions too. Um, but I, I think overall the outlook looks pretty good. But, but as you say, these stocks are, uh, can be hit uh, overnight uh, uh, by by selling and it can look pretty ugly. And the other thing that I think that's clear here, by the way, uh, which I think is sort of obvious, but it's worth mentioning, is that uh, these stocks also get uh, buffeted by, uh, by uh, COVID news. And so when Omicron uh, showed up, uh, there was a very familiar looking pattern where people flooded into the same stocks they were buying uh, a year ago uh, as the pandemic spread. Um, and they were rebuying Zoom and Peloton and Roku and Netflix and all the same stay-at-home stocks we it's saw. The Pavlovian reflex. It was like the obvious play, and it didn't last. Yeah. Uh, and you know, tomorrow we could get a you know a new variant, and uh, we'll see it all over again. Right. Well, certainly a lot of volatility in the past month, and good explanations there, Eric. I want to talk about earnings for a moment. Earnings season is just about over, even for the oddball scheduled reporters. Yes. But here comes Oracle, which will report results of its fiscal second quarter tonight. The stock has yes. had a great year. It's yes. risen about 38%, and investors seem to be applauding the company's move to offer cloud-based versions of its enterprise software. When Oracle reports tonight, what should investors listen for? Well, I think there's a couple of elements. Um, you know, you're right. Oracle has had a pretty nice run this year, and um, and they they are showing uh, what where they were. They had been showing almost no growth. They are now showing some modest growth. Uh, they are they had projected uh, three to five percent growth um, in revenue for the quarter. Um, that will actually, of course, be one element that people will be watching for. Uh, there's going to be uh, some analysts have commented that. Uh, they could have some serious currency headwinds this quarter, which could reduce the growth rate a little. We, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I think the real key to the Oracle story is going to be, um, can they continue to get traction on, uh, on selling customers cloud versions of their both their uh, database software, which is uh, what most people know them for, right? They're a leader in the database um, software market, plus enterprise applications for all kinds of um, business uh, purposes. Um, and then there's a third element to the Oracle story, which uh, is something called Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is uh, Oracle's answer to um, Amazon Web Services and uh, Microsoft Azure. They're trying to compete with them in the cloud business. Uh, they are a distant fourth here behind uh, behind um, Azure and AWS and also uh, Google. Uh, 
but but they've been growing very rapidly. And in fact, uh, within the last couple of months, made an announcement about making a dramatic expansion of that business in new markets. So we'll see. I mean, I think uh, a lot of the key is it often isn't Oracle's case is going to be around uh, the guidance, um, which, uh, you know, typically uh, the CEO, Safra Katz, gives on their uh, analyst call, which people might want to listen to. Um, and we'll see. I mean, they they always uh, exude enthusiasm on their calls, often very entertaining calls. Larry Ellison often uh, appears on the calls. Um, but I think the real question is, can they maintain uh, this growth posture? Um, Safra has said before that they that that growth should accelerate. And um, if they can show that, um, I think the stock um, can continue to do well. A grind higher, as one analyst I saw uh, wrote. Uh, this week, and um, and we'll see. Now, I, you know, there's always also the risk that uh, they get uh, that that they disappoint. Uh, it does happen periodically, and in fact, ironically, if you look at the last few quarters for Oracle, the stock sometimes sells off after earnings day, and then a few days later, just makes it back up again. Um, you know, I think that they are uh, they are. This is a long game for them. Uh, on, in terms of their transition to more of a cloud business. And by the way, the other, the other element of the story is they've been very aggressively buying back shares, uh, which has helped support the stock too. Definitely. So, so Oracle was one of your picks earlier this year. It was a Barron's cover story. It was your cover story. And it sounds like you're still pretty bullish on the stock. Yeah, I am. I mean, the story is playing out more or less as I thought. I mean, I think that um, as we said in that story, uh, this is not an, Overnight transition, you know, Oracle's a bit of a battleship. It takes a long time uh, to make those kinds of transitions. And, uh, you know, they're seeing, they are seeing good traction for the cloud-based version of their database software, which is called Autonomous Database. They have a um, private cloud business, which they call um, Cloud at Customer, kind of an awkward name. But the idea is basically that you, you run cloud-like software inside the data center. Um, you know, they have... They, and, and I think, you know, underlying that, as I mentioned earlier, is there's really strong enterprise um, spending demand. Um, uh, in, there has been. Throughout the country, really. Yes. Yeah. And we'll see. We're going to see more of that in 2022. Um, I think they're pretty well positioned going forward. Sounds like a good story. So speaking of the cloud, Eric, Amazon Web Services, the giant oh cloud company, okay. had big problems this week. There was a widespread outage on Tuesday. That affected our ability to publish online, and it even forced the cancellation of Barron's Live, your call. So I'm glad you get a second chance today as, <laughs> as the speaker. Who knew we were so dependent on Amazon? But tell us what happened and what it means for the web business and the company's shares. They don't seem to have suffered too much, even though yeah. the rest of us did. Yeah, that's true. So um, this was an unusually uh, nasty outage that lasted almost all day on Tuesday. Uh, it started early in the morning, didn't really get resolved until late in the afternoon. Amazon has been a little squirrely on actually what happened. They talked about having some problems with network devices. It's unclear what that actually means. Um, the implication were that a whole set of companies, um, streaming video sites like Disney Plus and uh, some financial sites like Venmo, and as you say, our ability to publish, uh, you know, we, we published in part on WordPress, which is hosted on AWS. I actually tried to write, a, I was writing a story about the AWS outage, which I could not immediately publish. 
because that's very meta, but we'll get to meta later. Yes. So, um, so that was uh, it was it was a difficult situation. Now, I will say this is one in a series of outages of various kinds. You know, we had a Facebook outage not that long ago. Um, some of the uh, content delivery networks like Akamai and Fastly have outages in the last year. We've had a whole series of these things. Now, it would be tempting to argue that there's something fundamentally broken here. Uh, but I think the fact is, uh, it's remarkable how rarely these things actually do happen. I mean, the internet is an extremely complex set of servers and networks and computers and uh, hardware of various kinds and an extremely complicated software. And, and extremely stable given the complexity. Yeah, given the complexity. Like, you you know, people talk about having five nines of reliability or whatever. You're never going to get 100% reliability. That's just, uh, it's just impossible in a network of this complexity. Now, um, you know, I think what it is fascinating that the market kind of went, meh, I don't care. And the reason is, I don't think this outage, annoying though it was to... Um, me personally, right, and to many other people, um, uh, I don't think that changes any customer behavior, right? I mean, Amazon is the largest player here. You could, I suppose, make an argument that someone could decide, oh, well, I'll use Azure or Google Cloud or maybe Oracle Cloud instead. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if Oracle mentions this on their call today. We'll see. Um, but I, I think it's just unlikely that anyone uh, that on the one hand, that anyone changes their behavior as a result. I also don't think it changes the cloud story at all. You know, AWS is producing fantastic growth. Uh, that's not going to change. It's now a 60 billion dollar run rate business with that. You know, with that, uh, you could make the argument that AWS alone is uh, worth more than half of the valuation of Amazon, probably worth more than a trillion dollars. I, I just don't think any of that changes with this outage. Now, I do think it raises some interesting questions about, um, you know, well, how do you protect yourself from that, right? Well, you know, you, uh, people talk about hybrid clouds where you use more than one cloud provider to do some of the work. Um, that turns out to be, depending on the job you're doing, either easy or not so easy. You know, so if you think about Netflix, which is one of the largest users of AWS, um, it would not be so easy for Netflix to duplicate itself and, you know, have a version running on uh, Azure, say. I don't think that's likely to happen. And there is an interesting question that many uh, cloud users will face, which is um, how much are we willing to spend to avoid... Uh, you know, the potential risks of, of situations like we saw on Tuesday. Um, I think it will and, depend on how many of them occur in the future. Yeah, it'll depend a little on that. And it depends on the, you know, the, the, uh, the urgency of not going down. You know, if Netflix goes down and, you know, you can't watch the new episode of whatever for another day, that's not a big crisis. If Ticketmaster goes down and you have to wait a day to buy your Dell tickets, you know, that's not a that's not a crisis. Um, uh, if this was a banking application, it becomes more problematic, right. you know, if it was healthcare related. But I, I think in general, it doesn't change much. I think that um, uh, it does increase, I think, the awareness that of the reliance we have on the cloud to do things. Now, I'll, I'll say one other thing about this I think is interesting, which is um, one thing this doesn't argue for is switching back you know, kind of reversing course and suddenly deciding we should all run, uh, run our our businesses and data centers own you know inside 
the corporate, uh, you know, headquarters building or whatever, um, that would presume that you think you can run networks better than Amazon can. And whoever you are thinking of, that is probably not true. AWS has, um, you know, a legion of talented engineers and, uh, you know, network architects. No one is going to do this better than they have. Um, and if you, if they, anyone who thinks that's the case uh, is, is uh, thinks that, that, you know, that they can do this better, uh, you know, they should start a competitor, but I, I don't think anyone. <laughs> I'm using the cloud over this. Um, right. I, I, I think mean, we're sticking uh, with the cloud problems and all. I think that is, I think it's, uh, I think we're too far down that road to change direction. All right. I want to switch and go down another road. Apple has had a fantastic few weeks. The NASDAQ fell about 1% in the past month, and Apple rose about 16% in this time frame, with a market cap that is actually approaching $3 trillion. It's pretty astounding. It's pretty and amazing. Clearly, there's been a lot of momentum buying here. Investors who want to ride the market's winners into year-end to show good performance, but what else could explain this kind of rally in Apple? Yeah, it is It is fascinating. I mean, you know, the, you do have the stock at new all-time highs. Um, and, you know, it's not just a few months ago, it looked like Microsoft had caught up and uh, Microsoft had actually caught up and passed Apple in market cap, and that has reversed course. Um, but I, I, think, uh, th I think there's several elements to this. Um, I think one is simply that, weirdly enough, Apple feels like a safe haven in times of, of turmoil. Um, you know, I think that there's a sense that, for example, if you th think about the COVID issues we had, you know, in the way that the market tends to get whipsawed by COVID news, Apple's going to do fine with or without it, right? People are going to still buy iPhones. Um, you know, they're going to still use Apple services. Uh, Probably the stickiest product around. Yeah. So like, are you going to not buy an iPhone because of COVID or are you going to buy one because of COVID? Like you're going to buy a new iPhone if you were an iPhone user eventually. So I don't think anyone sees sees uh, sees them as dramatically affected that way. I think um, so. That's one element. It feels like a safe place to be. And by the way, Apple also um, making it feel even a little safer. Apple continues to ex be extremely aggressive in buying back its own stock, right? So they- That's they've been a theme of a lot of companies you talked about today. That is true. Um, maybe it's a sense of confidence that the companies have, um, but you know, Apple bought back $20 billion of stock in the last quarter alone, um, and that's not likely to slow down. Now, I think there's a few other elements to the Apple story. One is um, we're seeing more and more people talk about the likelihood that Apple is going to um, introduce some sort of um, augmented reality or virtual reality glasses, headset, some kind of hardware in that space um, as soon as late 2022. So a year from now, uh, when we're talking, we're going to be talking about whatever this thing is going to be called. Um, and there's a uh, there's a growing sense that this could be a really important new business for Apple. Um, you've started to see some analysts build it into their uh, their earnings models, which we had not seen until very, very recently. Um, now, Apple hasn't said anything about this. They've talked a little bit about augmented reality features on the phone, uh, you know, for doing uh, games and other things. Um, but, but as this becomes uh, more, uh, as the market becomes more convinced that this is real, um, they're, they're, people are starting to get excited about that. I also think that there's, there's still some underlying anticipation about, uh, although it's further away, about Apple getting into the 
auto business and having an Apple car. Um, that's probably a few more years away, even if they do it at all, we'll see. But, you know, you've seen a little more buzz about that. And I think the other thing is that um, there's a lot of uh, debate about how, about what's going on in the iPhone uh, business. Some analysts continue to report um, supply, uh, that demand is completely outstripping uh, supply, that you, you know, there's still shortages, long wait times to, to get new phones. Um, they, they saw particularly strong demand in China, um, maybe the strongest demand they've ever seen um, in recent months. There is some, there's some monthly data that the Chinese government reports on cell phone sales. Um, and from that data, you can uh, tease out what's happened with Apple, Apple demand in particular, and it's, it's growing uh, remarkably well. Uh, now, there have been some reports that Apple told some of their suppliers that, um, you know, to, that, that growth might slow down. And um, that's, that's a, not fully substantiated. And some analysts don't really believe it. Um, now, like the, other, the other element of this that's interesting is uh, when Apple reports December quarter results, you know, they had warned that they were going to see a big hit from a supply chain uh, that they were going to, you know, I think the number they said was like something like $7 billion of demand um, might uh, be, uh, you know, essentially uh, destroyed by, or not destroyed, but like delayed at least uh, by a lack of components. They were concerned about that for in particular around the iPad. If that number is actually lower than that, um, uh, this, this, you know, the stock could rally some more. So I, I, I think it's a complicated equation. Um, and I do think some of it is simply momentum. Um, you know, there, you could do that a lot. That was my first read on it. I think you could do a lot worse than own Apple here. I mean, I, I, I think if, I think the, the flip side is what's the bear case for Apple. I mean, the bear case for Apple would be that, um, it probably is around the idea that iPhone sales will begin to disappoint as we get into 2022. Um, but at some point, we're going to start anticipating, you know, Apple uh, iPhone 14. Right. The next generation. Of next iPhone. generation. And we'll see what's in that one. I mean, iPhone 13, by the way, which is doing really well. I have one and uh, I'm sitting right here and I, I, I think it's fantastic. It has a uh, especially long, much longer battery life than my old uh, uh, XR um, or the 10R. Um, and, and uh, uh, you know, but that, but, oh, but my point was that the, the iPhone 13 was viewed as a kind of interim year for the iPhone, uh, what used to be called an S uh, phone. Uh, the, the, Apple used to do this uh, numbering nomenclature. It would be like iPhone 6 and then iPhone 6S, that kind of thing. Um, they stopped doing that, but um, the 13, like iPhone 11, was viewed as sort of an interim, you know, modestly upgraded phone uh, compared to the one. I before. think it's done very well, and it's done remarkably well. I mean, as again, we're talking about you know potential, uh, you know, shortfalls in supply. Uh, there's plenty of demand, and um, there are still some models that are hard to get. And in particular, the ones that tend to be the most popular, uh, to Apple's benefit, are the more expensive ones. So the 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 Pro and the Pro Max, which are the high end of the line. Um, are selling the best um, and they have higher margins and higher ASPs and that's that's all to Apple's uh, benefit and uh, you know I think partly what partly what we're seeing um, is the beginnings of some anticipation of uh, what Apple's going to report for the December quarter and 
um, people seem to be optimistic. So, you know, we're only 5% away from $3 trillion. So <laughs> 3 trillion, here we come. <laughs> we'll next week, we'll see. Right. So I want to, I want to ask a couple of listener questions. We've had quite a few coming in. Robert asks, how well do you think Microsoft will do in 22? Yeah, I feel pretty bullish about Microsoft. I mean, I think, you know, they've had a fantastic year this year, uh, but they are in all the right places. Uh, you know, their, uh, their cloud business is doing great. Um, I think one, one thing that's a little underappreciated is what they're doing with um, Microsoft Teams, which, you know, originally was, uh, you know, it's kind of an add-on uh, to the... Uh, 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 it's become their, a big player. In- yeah. Well, you know, what Teams, what Teams has is a, it's a kind of a, a collaborative communication suite. It includes a whole set of products, uh, chat like uh, Slack and video like Zoom and a bunch of other things. And one thing that they just did, interestingly, was they just unveiled a standalone version, um, right, which doesn't, inc- it doesn't require you to have... Um, uh, to use Outlook or any other uh, uh, or Office, and um, a standalone version for a small business, it's priced at like four dollars per user per month, which is about a third of what you would pay for Zoom, um, and it really hurts Zoom stock. I, I think there's just a bunch of things like that that really are driving very strong growth. Um, you know, the X, the new Xbox is doing great. Um, they're, they're just on fire. I think Microsoft is going to be just fine. And they're, they're, you know, you're looking for the next, next $3 billion company. <laughs> they would be the next one in line. Trillion. Trillion. Well, they're two and a half billion now. So, you know, we're okay. only. So Victor asks, what do you see as the major headwinds for the tech sector in 2022? He notes that the Fed is probably going to raise rates and taper its purchase of mortgage-backed securities, and inflation obviously remains a problem. But what do you see as the major headwinds for the sector? Well, yeah, you know, rates are always you know a potential issue here. I mean, I, I think that, and and you can't ignore that. I think the particularly for the large cap names or the mega cap names. I am a little worried about what happens on the regulatory front. Um, you know, we'll see how that plays out. It'll be affected by the midterms um, uh, next year. I think that, uh, you know, the the saving grace in many ways for the large, uh, large cap uh, tech names has been uh, legislative gridlock, where you think about the way that Congress thinks about social media. They both think, both sides of the aisle think there's something wrong they can't agree exactly what that thing is, right? Yeah, so or how to fix it. How to fix it. And right. So I think you'll get some tweaks. Now, I, I do think there is a certain amount of risk around uh, aggressive uh, regulatory behavior. You know, we just saw the FTC file suit to prevent NVIDIA from buying um, ARM. Um, you know, I think there is some trepidation about uh, uh, how Lena Khan, the new chair of the FTC, is going to go after M&A. So I think we'll see, particularly for larger companies, like an inability to do large transactions. There's a couple of interesting pending ones. Amazon buying uh, the film studio MGM is, is being scrutinized and doesn't have any obvious problems from an from a antitrust point of view other than simply Amazon being bigger. If, if, that, if that doesn't pass uh, muster, uh, with regulators, we're just not going to see any M and A um, of any consequence. Uh, now, I think the other, on the other hand, I, I do think we'll have another really robust year for the IPO market. There's, 
for all the IPOs that we've seen the last year, um, we continue to increase the number of, of unicorns, you know, which is like private companies with a valuation above a billion dollars. What are some of the biggest unicorns waiting to come public in the U.S.? Um, let's see. So there's a couple of interesting ones that come to mind. Um, one I'm fascinated with, although I don't know what the timing will be, is SpaceX. Now, you know, mm. This is Elon's other company, right? Um, SpaceX has a, you know, something like a, I don't know what the last number is, $75 billion valuation, something in that range. Um, it's an unusual situation because, you know, as a, uh, you know, they're, they're ferrying, uh, goods and people to the space station, things like that. They also have, uh, they've started to work on a, um, uh, a satellite telephony business that could be much larger even than their core rocketry business. But, you know, this is a capital intensive business with like lumpy financials. I don't know how. Uh, how it would do in the public market, except that people are so smitten with Elon Musk that I think it would do fine. There's Stripe, the financial services company, um, uh, which I think is uh, is, an, is a likely early uh, candidate. Um, one of the uh, kind of, uh, you know, a few months ago, I might have said um, uh, ByteDance, uh, which is the, you know, the parent company of TikTok, but Chinese I don't know about that anymore. Um, yeah, so Chinese uh, uh, plays obviously are um, going to have trouble coming public, certainly coming public in the U.S. Um, you know, that's uh, that's one to watch as well. But uh, uh, so there's a, there's a couple. There's lots more where that came from. So Lee asks, if you could peer into your crystal ball, what are the three tech subsectors like semiconductors, robotics, PCs, et cetera, et cetera, that you would expect to have much higher capitalization a decade from now? Wow. Well, um, sure. So I think um, good question. It's a good question. Um, here, wait. I'm peering. They're all good, frankly. I'm putting out my tarot cards now. Um, so, so <laughs> I, I guess a couple of things come to mind. I mean, I, I do think that. Um, I'm not sure this really is even defined as a um, uh, as a subsector. I'm I'm, a, I'm sort of become fascinated with the metaverse, uh, which is really kind of a fancy, you know, overblown way of talking about the next generation of of internet technology. I think it's safe to say we will become more, not less, reliant on uh, the online world in one way or another. It doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to be walking around with Oculus headsets on our heads, but I think that. Uh, Online interactions of uh, one kind or another, um, whether it's in a virtual world or simply, um, you know, relying on the virtual world for more things, is uh, is inevitable. I think the cloud is just really starting. I think if you have a long, you know, having a long term bet on, uh, you know, I think it's the, I mean, it's the boring obvious names, right? It's like Amazon and and Microsoft uh, are going to see tremendous growth in those businesses. There's just simply, they're just simply better ways to run your uh, your core business infrastructure than uh, than doing it yourself. And we've really just scratched the surface of what's possible. So I think the cloud is one. I think you know you, you, you semiconductor technology, you know, is we're all suffering with these shortages. Um, you know, I note I was, was taking a look at some of the better performers in the Nasdaq uh, this year, and some of them are. Uh, quite a few of them at the top of the list are semiconductor equipment companies. These are, you know, companies like Lamb Research and Applied Materials and um, 
and and those those stocks uh, tend not to get as much attention in a way because what they do is highly technical. They have a very small audience of buyers, right? You know, I mean, uh, if you think about a company like Applied, uh, you know, between like Intel and Samsung and um, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, it's a large chunk of their business, right? So you don't read about much much about them, but they are the picks and axes. Uh, or picks and shovels provider to the semiconductor sector. And so there's, there's, it is almost certainly true that those companies are going to grow substantially over the next decade. So I would include them. And, um, you know, I, th I think, um, uh, honestly, there's a reason that the mega caps are mega caps, right? I think if you look at these companies, um, some of them have been around a long time, right? Microsoft and Apple are both about 50 years old. Um, I think the big get bigger, um, I think the same goes for Amazon. Amazon has had its issues. Um, you know, the, aside from AWS's problems this week, um, you know, they've uh, they've had some uh, slowdown in their retail business from the, the, the pandemic period, but um, e-commerce is taking over the world. And Amazon, meanwhile, has built out, I think one thing to watch for, Amazon has built out a pretty remarkable logistics business and starts to look like a competitor for FedEx and UPS. I mean, you know, drive around. There's Amazon vans everywhere. Um, they've bought, you know, in the hundreds of airplanes. They own huge warehouses. Um, they are going to remain formidable for time to come. And I think that's a, you know, you want to say buy and, buy and forget. But I think Amazon is almost certainly going to be a bigger company, a substantially bigger company 10 years from now. Outages or not. Do you have a favorite tech stock Putting you no on the spot there? Um, it's hard to pick one. I mean, I, I think um, if I had to pick one for the really long, you know, oh God, I hate, this is going to get me in trouble. But I, I think- All right, I'll, pick two. I'll pick, I'll pick two or three. I mean, I, I do think that there's, um, there's an argument that says um, if you put, if you had a little portfolio of, if you had to pick three, um, I might pick three of the big ones, uh, Apple, Amazon, uh, Microsoft. Um, I do like the social media ones, but I think there's more regulatory risk there, particularly for Facebook. Um, and I'm, you know, although Facebook looks cheaper than some of the others, but I think, um, you know, Apple is only going to get bigger and more important. Um, the same is true for Microsoft and Amazon, and uh, they just have resources that other people don't. Um, you know, you can think of more speculative, speculative ways to think about this that might generate outsized returns. But I think um, I think those are pretty safe places to be for the long. And we run. might add some semiconductor names if we wanted to extend the list. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the question they is all depend ones, on them. right. Uh, the question is which ones. Uh, so you know, we've seen a huge run in Nvidia shares this year, which is like suddenly looks like the next trillion dollar uh, stock, which is kind of remarkable. They've outgrown you know companies like Intel and Qualcomm. Um, Intel's an interesting speculation here. They've struggled um, with, you know, both com competition from AMD and having manufacturing issues. Um, if they can, if they can straighten this out, um, you know, and, and Pat Gelsinger, the new CEO there is uh, very much respected on the street and is doing some of the right things. And they're, you know, they're trying to, uh, they've changed, they're changing strategy and adopting a, a model to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't count them out either, but it's a little more speculative, I would say. Just For sure. Well, Eric, we have to wrap up now, but I really want to thank you. This has been a great call. I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners did. And I want to 
I want to thank all our listeners for your terrific questions and for sticking with us. On tomorrow's Barron's Live, we'll look at the housing market and the outlook for 2022. Market Watch reporter Jacob Passy will speak with Mark Fleming, chief economist for First American Financial Corporation, about what rising mortgage rates and cooling prices might portend. Sounds like an interesting call. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.